Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. COVID-19 had an impact on practically all aspects of young people's lives. Learning mobility of young people is one of them. Borders were closed, people were not able to move freely, students' dormitories were turned into places for people in quarantine. Students were losing their jobs, youth exchanges were cancelled, youth work moved online. How big was the impact of COVID-19 on learning mobility of young people? How did the youth organisations deal with international projects being cancelled? What support was offered to young people who were in mobility projects when the pandemic started? What is the future of learning mobility of young people? And what should be the policy responses? These are just a few questions we are discussing in this episode. The EU Council of Europe Youth Partnership runs the Knowledge Hub on the impact of COVID-19 on the youth sector, collecting youth research and practice that looked at the two sides of the pandemic impact, the challenges for the youth sector and uh, positive initiatives. In this episode, we are discussing the results of the desk research study on COVID-19 and learning mobility developed by two researchers, Ewa Krzaklewska and Özgehan Szenuwa who are our guests in this episode. We are also exploring this topic with Jakub Grodecki, a member of the Advisory Council on Youth in the Youth Department of the Council of Europe. Enjoy listening. Welcome to the podcast. Some time ago, we had a podcast on the impact of COVID-19 on youth services and youth organizations. And uh, in our discussion, it was very clear that the pandemic impacted every sphere of uh, youth services and youth organization, including learning mobility of, of young people. And now we have the research describing the impact of COVID-19 on learning mobility of, of young people. What was the purpose of this research? So in March 2020, our lives and the lives of young people has completely turned around and the youth mobility particularly was impacted. It in practice almost uh, stopped. So we have seen that young people who were in mobility or the young people who were planning mobility, they have seen their life plans being totally vanished or, or destroyed. In that period, there was a lot of fast responses from institutions, from organizations, from even teachers to support young people who are in mobility so they are not left alone in the foreign countries. Shortly uh, after that, the institutions and organizations started to monitor what's happening and they started to run, I we call it emergency research. So this research that, that really describes what is coming uh, currently going on and tries to find the best practices how to deal with this emergency situation. And with OSGE together, we sat and we tried to gather what has been researched in this first half a year of the pandemic, what was been uh, studied and what was the most important issues in regards to youth mobility. So let's go a little bit into what's in the research. What is the content? It's very clear that youth mobility is very important in the lives of young people. Also, it's very important for youth organizations. It contributes really vastly to the quality of youth work across Europe. And it develops different competences of young people. But you write in your research also very beautifully, by the way, that mobility as a social zone is a unique tool of becoming a person one dreams of. So... 
We may assume that this, these dreams were taken away from young people because of the COVID-19 and all the restrictions that are related with the pandemic. What actually might happen if this chance is taken away from young people on an individual level? What does the research show? What is the experience of youth organizations as well? And uh, what does it actually say about the impact on young people who are coming from migrant background. Calling the mobility period as a dream activity for the youth people is a correct one because not only it's just a content of the mobility that people are trying to pursue, but also if we consider the youth as people who are, let's say, 20-some years old, they are planning their mobility, it's also the time of the pandemic is a big part of their youth life. So sometimes uh, this dream activity of mobility, of going somewhere abroad, is a dream activity that learners sometimes plan their studies because of the opportunities that they have when it comes to mobility. A mobility experience gives a unique set of skills for the youth people, which in the recent years has been very way of European perception of education. So we have to acknowledge that even before the pandemic, the mobility opportunities were still not so inclusive as we would like to be. The mobility programs, work programs, were also connected sometimes to people that felt, felt comfortable of going to the programs. It required sometimes a bit of better economical background. It required a readiness to take the mobility, to step out from the comfort zone. Without having this privileged background, it was not fully possible and it was not the easiest decision to take on these periods. So the pandemic came into the place where the inclusivity of mobility was not necessarily fully developed. So the findings on some research on youth partnerships also point out the economic crisis which uh, was caused by the pandemic and in particular the issue of youth unemployment. According to one of the survey, basically the economic impact of COVID crisis put the youth at risk often those which are less educated or with migrant background, they witness the economic situation worsening and basically that caused even more disparities on the availabilities of the studies. Okay, Eva, you wanted to add something? Yes, the research shows that uh, in fact mobility is seen uh, by young people as a very uh, special period, as a very special time in their life and they are often planning for it, uh, they are having uh, high hopes what they could achieve for their new um, uh, places they will visit, new competencies they will learn but also new friendships they will make and it plays an important also role in like their thinking about what is being young in a sense, you know, so it's like how we should live now in Europe Europe, our uh, youth. So we, with my colleague in my research, uh, with Karolina Czerska-Shaw, um, students uh, felt somehow deprived of their uh, presence and their future. So in a sense, for those who were in mobility, they felt like their, their plan, their project was robbed. And also for those who kind of uh, uh, were believing in mobility as a way also uh, for, the, for example, future career, that created a huge uncertainty, how they could plan their life, how they could now think about the professional uh, path. Uh, so it, it really came, uh, this crisis, as a shock to them. And with time, for example, with the second semester in winter, we could see that there was some adaptation and also our research with uh, Osga shows this, that not all of the people resigned from mobility, actually. Some believe that mobility in pandemic is better than uh, no mobility in fact. And they wanted to uh, to go to foreign countries, even if it wouldn't be maybe as perfect as they would imagine before. Mm, it is 
though now I think very hard to imagine somehow what could substitute mobility. And I think young people, and this also uh, the, the research shows, cannot and don't want to agree that their, their youth and their and future will be without mobility. It might be a different mobility in different maybe shapes or maybe different intensity, but still it is something that they really believe is very important. And for the question of inclusion, our study also shows the vulnerability of young people in mobility. And that's from both, for example, legal perspective, also from the pers social perspective that they are missing this very uh, secure uh, network of support in case of crisis, and also financial vulnerability. Because students, for example, who worked abroad, and that was the way that they supported their stay abroad, they missed this resource and they could only be sustained with, for example, their family resources. Some universities provided some little scholarships, but actually here, if your background doesn't give you this financial capital, that became really difficult. We have covered with Eva some uh, series of excellent research and their findings, and I think it will help the community, policy, practice and research community to know what has been done, but also to know what is missing. That is an also an important aspect of the desk research we have done. And it will also help for efficient uh, use of resources, not to repeat something, also to see what is missing. But another important finding, looking at the excellent research done by our colleagues, is the need for taking youth and the life of young people as a whole, not to compartmentalize. So what I'm saying is learning mobility is one aspect of the life of young people. We have seen that. And they are very much interlinked with other aspects of their lives. So you don't have to compartmentalize. You have to avoid compartmentalization. What does this mean is life doesn't go on as usual. Just learning mobility is affected. Every aspect of young people are affected. Thank you. I think it's clear from a lot of papers published on the impact of COVID-19 that it affected every aspect of, of, of people's lives. And here we talk about young people. But let's uh, focus a little bit on youth work, youth services. You also write about it in your research. Or your research shows that many aspects of youth work changed due to the restrictions related to the pandemic. You also wrote that there is only one dimension of youth work that did not change. These are the values of youth work. So what actually changed in youth work space, tools and methods? Let me go with some bullet points. One thing is this terms of uh, going online and trying to replicate online sounds uh, very complicated and the reality is multifaceted. The practice site is really struggling. And there was this illusion that going online is cheaper. And I, I find this a very important finding that our colleagues have showed in their research that going online It might be cheaper in terms of uh, plane tickets and renting the venue, but overall the cost is very high in sense of many of the youth work uh, organizations, youth workers were not prepared or trained going digital. And it required a lot of extra work, extra effort to be comfortable and to practice. One of the important findings is that not every um, youth work practice aspect could be transferred online cost-free. That was a major cost of going online, which 
had its toll on youth workers and uh, youth work in general. Some freelance workers could not do this transition. So this is one aspect I would like to talk about youth work practice. I think one uh, question that uh, comes uh, with this uh, online work is the, and the question of outreach. Who do we reach with the online activities? I think that's really critical. And we, as youth work, had already issues sometimes to bring young people to youth centers. And this is why the street youth work was created, that there must be different ways uh, to reach young people. To some, we need to find they just wouldn't come to the online activities. And that relates, first of all, to outreach and also to the different disadvantages and access to technologies and equipment, but also for certain motivation uh, to join youth work. You know, For some, um, online youth work is not youth anymore and maybe it's not so fun anymore and that wouldn't be attractive. So that has been also found in our study that mobility sometimes was, this um, motivational factor for young people to take part in youth work and be engaged. That was an added value of, uh, of youth work. So that has been also um, stopped due to pandemic. Yeah, it was very interesting to, to read in your research about this external and internal factors that were very important. External meaning closed borders, no possibility to, to move and so on. And these internal factors related to motivating young people to take part in different activities, including digital mobility projects. I, I think that was really interesting that uh, we could think of added value of immobility somehow. So we could think if there is something that this experience, this health of mobility teaches us that we could actually bring also further if we continue to move. And as we were saying that there is this normative pressure to be mobile, and there is a lot of now debate also in the academic field if this pressure is too much. And I noticed, for example, participating in some conferences that people were commenting that normally they wouldn't be able to take part because of other uh, commitments. That could also refer to the previous discussion that we have about spaces, methods and, and timing when it comes to youth work, but it and can also be transferred to the learning process itself. The spaces similar to youth work were also limited when it comes to learning process in universities. The libraries, the facilities, the student housing were limited. People were not using the same facilities as they could normally. When it comes to work methods, obviously, the first emergency try was to translate everything one-on-one -on -one to the digital setting, which in some case, it's simply not the way how it should be done. But obviously, in the such a short term, it uh, created another disparities across the, for example, European higher education area, because some of the universities were already much more prepared to, to switch to the online reality, comparing to the universities, for example, which were not prepared at all. Then when it comes to the timing, it's also visible that even activities moved digital. So at first uh, idea, it could uh, be time saver. It turned out that actually students are working much more and are much more overburdened according to the findings to some research when it comes to their pursuing their classes because every attendance to the classes comes with all the fun with playing with the drive with the learning resources all of that requires preparation what i want to underline is that we are talking about learning 
and we need to talk when and where learning takes place. Now, going online sometimes is just replicating the event, what would happen in the room or what would uh, happen in the class. But it's the 10 minutes before the class starts, having a coffee outside in university or in a youth exchange out in the coffee break when you talk with people that a lot of the learning is taking place. And this informal and non-formal dimension is clearly worrying us, and that has to be studied. I just want to give an example that I was thinking the other day, is going online is like listening to the CD of a group you like, but going to mobility itself is like going to the concert. You know, it's the experience of getting dressed at home, going out, all that full experience. So to imagine that doing something on Zoom is going to replicate the experience is like claiming that listening to the CD is going to replicate the concert. So it's not only the, the digital divide we have to worry, it's the new form of experience. Yes, Eva. And, and in relation to this uh, 10 minutes, Studies show that social relations during the, the stay abroad critical environment for learning and particularly intercultural learning. So that's actually these 10 minutes before the class, the 10 minutes after the class. But this is actually 24 hours of contacts, of being into a different environment, being into the different circles and confronting. And that's, I think, also a very key concept in the studies on uh, ongoing abroad, that the stay abroad allows you to confront yourself with different realities, with different people. And that's really also about physical confrontation with cold, with hot, with wind, with different food that you taste. And that's a different bodily experience. You cannot substitute this in in virtual sphere. And even those who are Erasmus students now in pandemic, they still strive to construct this social uh, circle. And sometimes when I think when we discussed Erasmus, we were talking about Erasmus bubble. And we were talking about this uh, often negatively, like it was something wrong that they don't go outside of it. And of course, we could have a debate about that. But this Erasmus bubble, for example, in crisis is very often this this ultimate source of support and also a source of knowledge, of emotions, of possibility to practice language. So I think we, we should really try to see these different uh, experiences now also from a different edge because uh, they prove to have maybe a different function when it comes to crisis situation. Thank you. I think the issue of support is very important and uh, it has been mentioned several times. And uh, because it was desperately needed, not only because people found themselves in a kind of uh, yeah uncertain situations, but also because of the impact this restriction had on their lives, meaning their mental health deteriorating or losing their social links and so on. So are there any examples of support, how these young people could be supported? Meaning those who are, were in mobility projects and decided to stay, but also those who we're about to go on a mobility project and then suddenly everything stopped. Uh, in terms of uh, support, I would like to uh, point out to an, a very important issue, which is young people were presented and scapegoated in certain aspects as part of the problem. In terms of the pandemic, they were presented as careless irresponsible, risking the society with their behavior. 
And especially in terms of learning mobility, the foreigners being accused of bringing the disease was out there. In terms of support for the society, young people have proven themselves being part of the solution. They have taken initiative. We have this evidence from the Polish Research on Solidarity Corps volunteers who decided to stay in Poland and help making masks, for instance. They were doing these things. They went going online. They were supporting people. And another one, the last one would be uh, youth work. And youth workers in general proven themselves very useful to support during the times of pandemic with young people. So it was contributing to their mental well-being. It was contributing to their self-esteem and even to the learning process because the learning process, without the mobility, the learning itself has been severely cut, disrupted, and youth work and youth workers shifted focus. So just because flights are cancelled and learning mobility is limited doesn't mean youth work has stopped. On the contrary, lots of people have transferred what they know at international level to street level, to their neighborhood level. So that was also interesting to, to observe. It was really good to, I mean, just, just adding on the, on the side note, I was really happy to see the initiative of the students, which, for example, my university, like my home university did, because it's basically also in Krakow, it's University of Science and Technology, and they were actually printing the masks, right? So I was monitoring the actions of the students by this university, like very with a very big heart. But when it comes to support of people going into mobilities, especially support of those who were already abroad, it was uh, crucial to provide at the beginning the clear set of information to allow them to actually plan their even next day because the felt of uncertainty was one of the most crucial and mm, harmful, I would say, feelings that they could feel at all because feeling being alone in another country when the global crisis is appearing must be a not uh, not great experience, I would say a terrible experience. So uh, definitely the support from the side of institutions, from the support of governments, from the side, support of embassies was visible. But the very big stream of information came directly from the youth organizations to youth. There is a big work done by our colleagues from ESN in supporting of those students, for example, when it comes to uh, Erasmus program, but obviously not only those, because either learning environments, either youth organizations are very connected and the programs is not only just this one, but basically guidance for those people were crucial. Thanks. Um, Eva, do you want to add something? Because I can see that you would like to. Mm -hmm. I think we should also um, notice that people who are in mobility are very uh, different. This is important that they have information access, but this has to be really streamlined. And we noticed that students from outside EU had a totally different and much harder uh, situation in this uh, crisis. And some that were really stuck in the countries and uh, couldn't come back. And they had issues with their legal status, sometimes with scholarships. So this crisis played really differently into different groups of students. We talk about a lot of things and your research also tackles other aspects as well. Talking, for example, about sustainability of youth organizations that are very dependent on mobility projects and, and so on. But I just want to close with a reflection on what... We actually learned through what happened with learning mobility of young people in the time of pandemic. What kind of impact will it or should it maybe have on policy, on youth policy, on European programs? 
um, first thing policy should be taking into consideration is the shrinking of youth work uh, at large as a result of the pandemic. So policy should pay attention to the sustainability and survival of the youth sector, especially the independent youth organizations and youth workers, which are not relying on state or uh, political institutions or uh, relying on government support. Even those in different uh, environments are suffering. So when the pandemic is over, we might not have the same youth work field as we had it before. And this uh, should be taken into consideration and be planned for. The second point I would raise would be the young people will not be the same. I mean, the paper that is available on the Knowledge Hub on mental well-being is clearly indicating that young people will uh, struggle with certain issues long after the pandemic is over. So youth work and youth policy must be both prepared with dealing with these young people. Next time we do a youth exchange, the chances of young people suffering from mental well-being issues will be higher in number is a big probability. So when we go back to normal, if it ever happens, we have to take these into consideration and we have to prepare. And again, policymakers should be prepared to develop interventions on these issues. And the only way to do it is through evidence-based policymaking. You don't have time to guess what happened. And that's why I find it very valuable what we have done, what we have been part of it, because we have to collect evidence during it so we can develop policy after it. And this, these are the two issues I would put a warning flag on. I think uh, as youth work, we would have to work on reconstructing youth spaces. And I personally see it as a main challenge. So how to bring back uh, young people back to the real world somehow, to the real contact. And uh, and I think waking up again the youth centers, youth clubs and different in different non-formal spaces, I think that would be the, the big challenge of uh, uh, youth policy uh, uh, in the future. I can at least sign up on what uh, Osgan said about the major point, about paying uh, main attention on the youth sector and organizations in a bigger scope when it comes to general support of and the recognition of this of this sector the, the harm which is done now to the youth sector can be much more visible in the long term from now if now the sector will not be supported enough when it comes to financial stability to making it more resilient and less dependent on similar shakes such as pandemic but also the very unexpected shakes that can come up in the future, then it can have a direct impact on the future of how youth sector will be developing, how the recognition of this sector will look like. When it comes to mobility itself, I would say the current actions should be aimed on producing the ideas and the frameworks on how to revive the mobility and how to make the mobility concept in the bigger scope recovery after the pandemic to not use only one option such as for example digital ideas on mobility right to make an even balance with the opportunities for different students and after that to make this whole opportunities much more inclusive in the sense of who can apply for such a programs after the pandemic too because our society because of the crisis probably will be even more divided when it comes to opportunities that's why it's uh, very important to create the solutions which allow uh, to the equal 
access to similar programs in the future. Just maybe thinking about the impact and uh, also the policy, but the future of learning mobility when it comes to COVID. I think we have to rethink uh, not only how is the mobility going to take place, but how is learning going to take place? What are the youth spaces going to look like? And what kind of competences are going to be needed for young people, but also for youth workers, for educators, also for the society as well. And very importantly, we have to remember that the things are developing very differently in different countries, in different regions. So when we are speaking about the policy, there is no one solution fits all countries. So all countries will be making decisions for themselves and there should also be some kind of coordinated approach. And this as well is going to be impacting on learning mobility as well. Thank you very much for your input. I think that it was a learning experience and a life experience, not only for young people, youth organizations. It has been an experience also for the institutions. It has been a learning experience for the Erasmus+, Plus, for the European Commission. It was an experience on how to practice flexibility, how to react in the situation that needs a very prompt reaction. That's the big learning for everybody. I'm just wondering how this learning will finish and what kind of outcomes it will bring. Thank you for listening to our podcast. In the next episode, we will discuss the impact of the pandemic on mental health and well-being of young people. And of course, you are all invited to listen. Mm-hmm.